Welcome to another episode of the Military Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Big Chief. And today I have with me Victor Law, and he is a safety officer for the city of Rock Mount. He had to make sure that he corrected me before we started because I was saying Rock Mountain, and he made sure that I got it right. You said Rocky Mountain. You said it's right. <laughs> he made sure I got that right. So he's also is an occupational safety and health admin instructor, instructor so that's called OSHA. Uh, he has an MBA from Indiana Wesleyan University and a Bachelor of Journalism from the University of the District of Columbia. Uh, he's a member of Toastmasters International. So for those of you who uh, want to tighten up your public speaking skills, that's probably where you need to be. And he, he's also an Army veteran and uh, he's contributed greatly to the Army Signal Corps. I reviewed his profile. So hoorah there. Thanks for that, Victor. Uh, welcome to the yeah. show. So we're going to do the start from the bottom. And uh, yeah, so you, you're you're in a pretty good place in your life right now. Yes, I am. Thank you. Um, yeah. I didn't take the straight route. I took the circuitous route. So here I am. I'm one of those popcorn kernels that took a while to finally pop. So I'm popping right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like that, man. So so let's start off with where you're at. So you are, um, could you describe to, to the audience uh, what's your role as a safety officer? As the safety officer for the city of Rocky Mount, I'm in charge of all things safety for my city. My city has 16 departments, uh, 1,200 employees. I'm responsible for safety orientation, safety training, uh, workers comp. I'm the point person for that. Um, safety inspections, um, anything you can put the word safety in front of or behind, it usually falls within my swim lane. I'm also the chief administrator of a safety management system that the city purchased. So all reports are now paperless. Uh, those all flow to me because I'm the chief administrator of that. I also work on policy development. I work on uh, hazard identification and a host of other duties as assigned, as we both know how nefarious those are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and safety is, is a part of every organization. And, and when things work right where people aren't getting their arms chopped off, I'm pretty sure they can thank you for establishing those uh, processes and protocols around uh, safety and, and all aspects. So that's great. I hope they take safety more seriously in the city of Rock Mountain than they did when I was in the army because I used to be a safety officer in the army and, and the commander was making sure that metric was checked off. <laughs> me too, me yeah, too. Yeah. I was the guy that had to give the, the weekend safety briefs. Oh, yeah. Um, I, oh, yeah. I went through the week-long safety course, Army, was it called the Army Safety Officer Training Course, yeah. training course uh, which really opened my eyes as far as how many hazardous things I took for granted. Uh, simple things like uh, maintenance Mondays, how hazardous that is, uh, physical training, um, and just looking at the statistics of how often soldiers get uh, injured um, or, or worse. As a, as a result of those routine activities it's like you know they listed all these activities that you know a typical army unit does and airborne was on, on on the list and i was like yeah that's the hazard like that's the number three uh i was like really it's like number one hazardous activity physical fitness i was like what <laughs> what <laughs> oh wow. i was like under, understand we we train in all kinds of weather uh, we don't do safety briefs before uh, physical fitness training. We don't assess the weather. We don't take into account any risk assessments. We just go and do. And as a result, whatever happens, happens. 
and then we badmouth the soldier for getting injured during the course of this activity when we we as uh, leaders didn't take into account all the risks that were involved before we engaged in activity. Number two on the list, PMCS, Preventative Maintenance Checks and Services. Again, no risk assessment is done. We just turn the soldiers loose on the equipment and tell them to you know, follow the Dash 10 uh, technical manual and whatever happens, happens. And then soldiers start taking shortcuts. They stop grounding um, equipment. It's got electricity flowing through it. Next thing you know, we got electrocution, injury, or, or soldiers are jumping out of the jumping off the top tops of tanks on the backs of cargo uh, hemmets and you know slips trips falls and springs and you know it just goes on and on i'm like i never even thought of that um mm. so they, they they had a big binder full of checklists of risks to look out for to help you to develop your risk assessment and that kind of put me on the path so to speak to the current position i have now uh, that, that's that's real interesting and that's how we win wars is uh assessing risk and identifying opportunities and uh you know i remember the safety officer was the guy that stood between you and the weekend because that was the the friday the friday briefing you know it's like man this this guy he needs herp and, and finish telling me about daisy chaining power supplies or or, or uh, surge protectors you know so i mean I, I think it's great that uh you were able to transition take that that uh niche skill from the from the army and, and now you're kind of sitting at the top at the converge point of all things safety for your for your city so congrats on that man that's a significant uh uh feat okay so it didn't always start out that way i wanted in my, it, once i became a civilian um and sat through all those uh job fairs for junior military officers uh there was only three tracks logistics manufacturing or sales I was like, I'm, I'm not a salesman, I'm a tailsman. You know, this is what I got for sale. If you want it, buy it. If not, keep it moving. It's like, this ain't for you. Well, logistics, I don't care to move any more material. I did that. I've checked that block. I'm moving on. Well, what about manufacturing? Okay, talk to me about manufacturing. We make stuff. You know, no matter what organization you go to, we're making stuff for Americans and people all around the globe. You can see how it's made. You can influence the process, the product all that fun stuff i was like okay and in small unit leadership at its best Ooh, I, I'm, I'm listening so i in my early you know the early part of my civilian career i envisioned myself to be someone's plant manager decades later it took my nephew to kind of you know make force me to see the reality it's like uncle you where did you get your mba 2003 what year are we in now 2016 why aren't you a plant manager now? Well, because every plant I've worked at, you know, sales were bad, I ended up getting cut. Or, you know, the situation got toxic and I had to leave. This, that, and the other. It's like, okay, Kerb, what plant are you working for now? How many black plant managers they got? None. Yet you have an MBA. Does your plant manager have an MBA? No. So what's his claim to fame? I got nothing. Yeah. What color is he? Um, okay, maybe it's time for in two weeks. Um, I got tapped on the shoulder. I need you to be this plant safe EHS environmental health and safety manager. I left all over it, and you know, it's like I just need you to get us caught up on all these uh initiatives and key performance indicators, and we'll see what happens next. And I succeeded in the role and you know things went south on, on that that adventure as well and then I got turned on to the city and I've been here ever since. 
Wow. Yes. So, so it took a little bit of a push, somebody else to realize your potential and you really to start to take a, a good assessment on, you know, what opportunities you should actually have been, you know, pursuing, pr- pr- pursuing the entire time. So, yep. so you think that if, uh, you know, if you, if your nephew didn't come along and, you know, kind of like that fire, it would have taken you a few, a few more years before you realize that. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't even thought about safety. Yeah. Um, is, is, is a full-time profession um, because as a knuckle dragon production guy production manager um, you know I treated safety with the respect it was due don't get me wrong and I took every every bit of piece of advice and guidance and, and risk assessment um, and blended it into operations I didn't treat it as a standalone you know I, I consider safety after things have gone wrong no how about we prevent it before it even goes wrong let's take a look at our processes and make sure safety is woven in to what we do day to day and any way we can continuously improve this process so it's safe and that's one less thing my employees have to worry about so if they have a safe workplace that means I'm going to be fully staffed because no one's injured so now I can focus on how do I want to make the process even shorter? How can I improve throughput? How can I bake quality into our process? So I can focus my energies on those things. Um, so I just I just roll with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't let a safety professional tell me how to do my job. Uh, if you want to bake safety into my process, great. Um, but you're not going to tell me how to make this product better. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, two things I kind of extracted from that is, is one that a lot of times we have the tools already in our tool bags that we need to be successful. Sometimes we just have to go back and do that assessment and figure out what we can pull out and leverage. And and the yeah. second piece is, uh, you know, like trying to be seamless uh, and the way that we integrate value is, is the next piece. And I think that's true. I work in the cybersecurity space and it's the same idea. You know, there's a business purpose and then there's the overlay of, of cyber security and you got to try to figure out how to make, you know, the security aspect seamless in that uh, service delivery process. So people don't say, hey, this is impeding how I operate. So I think we have exactly. a, a similar, uh, you know, challenge when, yes. when it comes to integrating our job purpose. Yes, we do. So, so, so Victor, so how did it start for you? You know, you, you, you came in the army. Uh, what was life like before that? You know, what, what were the challenges that you experienced where you felt like, Hey man, I don't see a bright a bright spot at the end of my you know my uh, life journey. Where where that where did that start for you? It started for me back in the mid to late eighties, well, mid eighties. I graduated from University of District of Columbia with a degree in journalism, and I could not find a job in my major in the Washington D.C. metropolitan area. No one would hire me with just a journalism degree and experience as the executive editor of the school newspaper, nobody. Mm. Um, The best I could do was being a freelance photographer and I had to be by the phone, uh, be ready to go from my home or or wherever I was to where the, 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 the assignment was. And it was a piecemeal type assignment um, I couldn't sustain myself with just those, that little bit of dollars because all they're doing is reimbursing me for film and fuel. That's it. Um, and I was like, I, I just got to be a better way. Um, so I was complaining to my uncle, who was a former Army vet, 
three tours in Nam, and you know, I was just browsing to him that you know I, I don't think I don't foresee that I'll ever break into this industry in this town. This town is too big. Everybody's entrenched. There's no openings, and no one really wants to take a chance on me to be their next journalist or their photojournalist. He's like, well, join the military. Three hots in a cot, all the training you need, this, that, and the other. We got journalists in the military. Really? Yeah. Who do you, who do you think recorded all those 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 antique black and white films from World War II going forward? Oh, okay. Point taken. So I went to the recruiting station um, in Maryland and just took roll call amongst all the branches just to see what they had to offer, took their tests. Uh, they found out I had a college degree, so everybody's trying to shoehorn me into an officer position. Uh, I, I went to the Navy first. Uh, you know, why'd you go to the Navy first? Well, because my dad's ex-Navy. Um, and I told my dad that, you know, I took naval exam, naval pilot, naval officer exam and failed it. Uh, he's like, why'd you go to the Navy? He's like, well, you went to the Navy. He's like, well, I didn't have a choice. It was the 50s, and, you know, I just wanted to get the heck out of D.C., uh, why did why do you want to join the Navy? I like water. He's like, yeah, the Navy's gonna break you with that. Um, so what's your next step? Well, I think I'll talk, try the Air Force. Try the Air Force. And the Air Force wasn't telling me anything I wanted to hear. I went to the Marine Corps. Marine Corps, they were slobbering at at, at the bit. Ooh, he's got a college degree. Let's get him. I was like, no, you just a little bit too anxious for me. Let me go to the next door to the Army. And the army sat me down. I was like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to be a journalist or a photographer. It's like, oh, that's Signal Corps. And back then they had laser discs. So mm-hmm. he pulls out pretty much a, you know, a 12-inch stack of laser discs. Here, pop these in, write down the, the MOS number, uh, which will be featured on, on the title slide or, or the opening credits, whatever they call them. Um, and we'll go from there. So uh, 33 Romeo, which is, which I guess back then was a, a combat journalist. Um, another one was uh, 33 something else, which was a photographer. Uh, 81 Echo, which was a illustrator, uh, which fell under Camo. Uh, 31 Charlie, 72 Mike, 72 Golf, and something else. Um, so I give those to the recruiter. Recruiter starts ticking them off. Combat uh, journalist? Nope. That 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 field is closed right now. Uh, photo, photographer? That's closed. Illustrator? Closed. Okay. What else we got? Seventy-two Mike? Oh, you just missed it. We we just filled all all the open vacancies for that. Seventy-two Golf. Uh, let me see. He goes on his computer. Nope. Just missed it. So that leaves 30, 31 Charlie single channel radio operator plenty of slots available okay let me rewatch that that because i haven't watched i don't know probably 10 or 12 of those laser discs um let me rewatch that again okay watch it okay 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 all right sounds good uh when do i start well you can start now or we can put you on delayed entry program because you have a college degree we'll give you the delayed entry program okay so you sign up now but you don't have to actually show up to the map station till a date of your choosing and let's, let's go for August, end of July, somewhere around there. So I can enjoy some of my summer before I join the military. Fine enough for me. Sign on the dotted in the interim between that date and the date I actually showed up. I'm still just spinning around. I got a part-time job. I'm, I'm doing these uh, uh, freelance assignments in the D.C. area for all these uh, little tiny papers and occasionally the Washington Post and the Washington Times and I'm just not comfortable in my own skin. 
I live a hop skipping. I live with my dad. Um, I'm a hop skipping to jump away from the hood, and I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I don't feel comfortable being who I am. So I developed a habit. The habit was I went from marijuana to PCP, PCP to crack, um, and crack had me bad um, to the point where I had a seizure and I blew $700 in three hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so right then and there, I knew I had a problem. I confessed to my parents, look, I just blew $700 in three hours. I had a seizure. I need help. And, you know, my parents are alcoholics. They don't know how to deal with this kind of stuff. It's like, so what do you want to do? I don't know. I looked in the yellow pages and according to them, there's an AA group and an NA group. I'm going to try that and see what happens. So I went to these NA meetings and I sat there in the back of those those meeting halls and I sat on my hands. I didn't contribute and I just judged everybody who came in the door. I was like, I may be bad, but I'm not like that guy. Um, yeah. And I stayed, I stayed clean and serene for about 33 days. Um, and I was like, I know what I need to do. I just need to reset the clock. I'm at the attic phase. If I can just reset the clock to social user, I can, I can blend in and still maintain. I did that for about another 33 days and I was back to the races again. I was blowing money left and right, uh, you know, disregarding bills, having to beg, borrow, pilfer, and steal to, to, to get what I need just to, to, to maintain this part-time job I've got. Had another seizure. And I was like, okay, God, you got my undivided attention. It is time for something stronger than just sitting in, in these meetings. I need to go to a full-on rehab facility. Went and told my parents again, look, this is where I'm at. Sorry I disappointed you, but we need something stronger than, than sitting in meetings. Uh, what do you suggest? A rehab facility. So we researched and we found one that would take me in, you know, post-haste because, you know, time's ticking. I got to join the military here shortly. Um, so I went to a rehab facility for 28 days in Baltimore in the roughest neighborhood of Baltimore. You know where the wire is filmed? West Caton? Yes, that's where my <laughs> rehab facility was. Yeah. Rough, 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 rough neighborhood. Our nickname of that facility was called Motel Hell. But 28 days later, I came out clean and serene and sober. And like Pookie said on, on, on New Jack City, so you ain't got to worry about me coming back to this facility ever again. So that's exactly <laughs> what I did. I, I made my mind up because there was a lady in my in 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 rehab with me who had relapsed 26 times. Wow. I was like, I don't want to be like her. If I can't do nothing else right, I don't want to be like her. I don't want to come back to this facility. I don't want to re redo this ever again. Uh, so I cleaned my act up couple of weeks after that joined the military went to MEPS went to basic training and for me basic training was a joke it was the long it was the longest stand-up comedic comedy show I had ever went to because those drill sergeants were hilarious the stuff they would say to us soldiers and privates and stuff it was just hilarious so naturally I got dropped quite a few times because I like, <laughs> he, he called you up <laughs> you whatever um and uh, I ended up on extra duty during uh, majority of, well, not extra, yeah, extra, we'll call it extra duty majority of my uh, basic training phase. Uh, reason being, the first night, the first weekend, they allowed us to go to church. 
met our battalion chaplain. Battalion chaplain after service said, you know, if you ever have a problem, if, you know, things are getting too rough, my door is always open. You can come talk to me. And I was like, cool. Um, so I'm in the infancy of my recovery, uh, or my sobriety rather. Um, and I talked to him. I was like, look, you know, I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. I don't know this area. I don't know where the nearest NA or AA meetings. If you can hook me up with where those are, what times they meet, I will try to coordinate this with my chain of command and see what happens next. Well, I kind of violated the chain of command just having that single conversation that he invited me to have. And he told my commander, commander told first sergeant, first sergeant told all the drill sergeants the following Monday, Law, get your high, you know, get your ass in here. Mm -hmm. I go in there. It is brown rounds all around this table. I'm like, this ain't a promotion meeting. There's too many drill sergeants in this one tiny room. <laughs> oh, get down in the front lean and rest. Okay, I get down in the front lean. What you doing talking to the battalion chaplain about you damn alcoholic and out addict? Then you know, and why are you not pushing up? I was like, the man asked me that he asked all of us, you know, if you have a problem to come talk, you gotta use your chain of command. So starting the day. All your weekends belong to us. Whatever detail we want to put you on, that's what you do. I'm, okay, fine. So the rest of my weekends belong to them. So I'm cleaning weapons. I'm, you know, doing it, whatever detail they want me to do. Fine, so be it. By the time we get to the blue phase, which, you know, that's the part where you're getting close to graduation. Uh, they finally said, okay, I think Law's learned his lesson. Um, and they allowed me to go to an NA meeting. Now, here's the hard part. I got to go to a drill sergeant who I don't like, and he don't like me, and request his permission to attend an NA meeting that's on base. And I'm, I'm, I'm dreading this conversation. This conversation. The drill sergeant, right? Private law requests permission to speak. Speak, soldier! Uh, I request permission to go to this NA meeting. What the hell's an NA meeting? Narcotics Anonymous. What did you just say to me? Narcotics Anonymous. Come here, soldier. <laughs> are you trying to tell me that you're a recovering addict? Yes, I am. How long have you been clean? Since uh, July, so-and-so. Okay. Well, that's good stuff, man. Uh, look here. Where, where's the meeting at? Is that this location? You know how to get there? I have no clue, drill sergeant. This is what you do. You get sketched out, you know, where I need to walk. It's like about a two-mile walk. See when you get back. I got back. Drill sergeant was waiting for me. It was like close to 11 o'clock. Everybody's knocked out. How'd the meeting go? The meeting went great. I'm gonna ask you one more again, soldier. How'd the meeting go? I got a lot out of it. Drills are great. That's all I need to know. Go back to sleep. Okay, great. And we didn't have no issues. Go to AIT in Fort Gordon, Georgia. Going through my training. And the last thing on my mind was hitting NA, 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 NA or AA meetings. Uh, because now I'm trying to learn my craft. Basic training, learn how to be a soldier. AIT, learn, learn my craft of being a single channel radio operator. Um, so that breezed through. And then I get orders for Germany. And I'm like, God bless, not not Germany. <laughs> Any place but Germany. Uh, what's wrong with Germany? You know, you either going to come back with a wife or a cuckoo clock. I, I really don't. <laughs> Germany's home, home to some potent-ass alcohol. I'm going to be surrounded by temptation. That is the wrong place to send this guy. You know, send me to Port Coke, Louisiana. I don't care. It is what it is. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, first sergeant. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I dig in my wallet and I pull out, you can't send me to Germany. What did you say, soldier? You can't send me to Germany. Why not? I'm an option 19 enlistee. It's something my recruiter gave me. 
they made me fill out this wish list of where would I like to be stationed. Number one, France. Number two, Australia. Number three, Italy. If I had my any overseas assignments. And my first sergeant took that card and laughed in my face. He's like, soldier, let me explain something to you. Your recruiter lied to you. We don't acknowledge these. The needs of the army outweigh the needs of the individual. You go into Germany, do we have anything else to discuss? And he turned a little red in the face, which means I know if I don't answer correctly, I'm about to get smoked. No, we're done, first sergeant. I'll take my orders for Germany. So I got my orders for Germany, PFC, cold, height of the Cold War. Um, and I, I, I say this often, lead me not to temptation. I can find it all by myself. In my barracks, in the soda machine, slot number D7, Bitburger beer available for sale, 75 cents. Oh my goodness. I am 20 yards away from the base pub. All I gotta do is exit out of the day room, go through the woods, there's the base pub. I'm like, oh my God, it is worse than I thought. Um, so I'm looking up, trying to find out, are there any NA or AA meetings in the vicinity? No, they're all driving distance away or train distance away. I don't have that kind of scratch. I'm just a PFC. I can't afford to be, you know, hopping on trains and catching cabs and this, that, and the other. I don't have a car. I only have a European driver's license. So it's just me, the good book. Um, and the temptations. The, the, <laughs> and the temptation. And the temptation. So, okay, what can I do to occupy my time so I'm not thinking about what's around me? Okay, physical fitness. So I started working out after after, after duty hours. So if I'm too tired to think about it, it won't happen. Uh, and just engaging in other activities that didn't involve alcohol, whatever it took. And it's just slowly but surely, you know, it just kind of went away. Uh, I was still reading on Good thing I'm in this car. Uh, can you see? Yeah. Whoops. There. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me get it. Let, there 20. we go. And I'm going to get it. Let's try it. And the hand is showing up. Let me go there. I can't find a sweet spot on this camera. But it's a book called The 24 Hours a Day. This is a book that my sponsor gave me while I was in uh, recovery. So I would read that every day before I started, before I even did PT, just to get my mind right. That, who's the, who's know, the author of that, Victor? Um, I don't even know if it has an author. Uh, doesn't have an author. It's just made by the Hazelden Institute. So mm, okay. Um, so each day there's you know a thought for the day, a meditation gotcha. for the day, and a and a prayer for the day. And it's all wrapped around the, the 12 principles of AA and NA uh, and, the, and the, the 12 uh, traditions and the steps and all that sort of stuff that's all baked in there. And it, it, it's kind of a gradual increase to uh, making sure that you stay on the road to recovery. Um, in the meantime, in between time, I'm sending, you know, I'm either making long distance phone calls to my sponsor in the States or I'm writing them, letting them know, you know, I'm still alive. I'm still doing well. You know, temptation is right down the hall, make it right. And there it is. Or 20 yards out, out the back of the day room, so forth and so on. But Victor Law is still being clean and serene. So when I came home on, on leave and he saw me at, at, at an AA, NA meeting, 
Uh, he's like, you look good, man. You know, they, they treating you right. You're feeding you right. This rather you looking great. Uh, what's your secret? I was like, my secret is, you know, this little black book and keeping myself occupied. It's like, great, keep doing that. Uh, you need my help. By all means, you know, reach out and touch me. So got promoted from PFC to specialist uh, within one year of being at the unit. Got sent to the sergeant's board two months before I rotated out of, out of the unit. So I got sent to a sergeant's promotion board in the secondary zone. That's how much I had improved as an individual, as a soldier, improved my work to my unit, my squad, uh, my battalion, um, my brigade, and so forth. Um, because I finally got a hold of a squad leader who was the best mentor I could have had, who actually got to know me, Victor Law, not Private Law. Like, I see a soldier with a college degree. I see a soldier, if we just took the brakes off of him, he could run rings around some of these sergeants we got here. So I'm going to push you to your limits until you tell me to stop. What do you want to do? What do you mean? What, what do you want to be? Great. Let's get started on the packet. What else you want to do? I want to improve the PT in this unit. What's wrong with our PT? All we do is 20 push-ups, 20 sit-ups, and a lap around the post office. That's it. I'm not even breaking a sweat. You think you can do it better? Oh, I know I can do it better. So we spent the next week drilling on all the different commands to do to open a PT formation, start a PT formation, do PT runs, call games, the whole nine. Spent a full week every day after duty hours. That's all we did. Um, so when he turned me loose, he's like, you know, I called private first class law to, to, to the front of formation. This is your formation. Do your thing. And I brought a little smoke. Um, so much that the first sergeant's like, you know, next time you're going to bring a smoke master, you should at least let me know. Because um, he thought I was just, you know, some Rudy Poop private who's going to do the exact same thing everybody else did before him. No, no, no. We doing muscle failure. Um, my squad leader found out I was working out after work. He's like, everybody who is failing to meet the, the minimum standard, they belong to you. You are now the new remedial PT trainer work them through whatever it is they, they are weak on. So I'll tell you, if they're weak on push-ups, work them out on bench. If they work on sit-ups, you can you can wear those abs out. If hey, Victor, the, run, let me ask you this. Was that was that therapeutic for you, uh, having the ability yes, to help other yes, people? Yes, yes, because it occupied my time. It kept me, it, I was no longer focused on the temptations of alcohol um, or, or any other substance. So it was therapeutic for me. It was it was a great uh, stepping stone to find out how much leadership I actually had that I didn't know um, that my that my squad leader recognized in me. Um, and on and on and on and on it went. So then I transferred out of Germany to the states, El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss, Texas. Um, again, I'm, I'm 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 a single channel radio operator. I'm in an air defense artillery unit. I don't know nothing about ADA. It's a whole new world for me. I just left a signal pure unit. Now I'm in an ADA unit, what we call the line units. Um, so just getting used to how they do things and where do I fit in and how can I excel at this position. Um, next thing I know, um, I'm put on, because I'm promotable now, I go to primary leadership development course, which is now called what? The Warrior Leadership Course or something? Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't Wow. Is it, you, you're keeping track of it. That's right, WLC. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So Google's Google is correct. That's right. Um, so went through that. Had a great time. Uh, I graduated on the commandant's list, and I'm like, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this soldier thing. Um, 
Next thing I know, balloon goes up, Saddam invades Kuwait. Uh, we get the order. We deploy an advance party in August. Rest of the unit deploys in, in September. And, you know, we do the whole Desert Shield thing, then the Desert Storm thing. Uh, during the right before Desert Storm officially kicked in, which was MLK birthday, which I, I thought that was a raggedy day to pick, but either way, um, you know, we're celebrating this this civil rights activist, and this is the day we're going to invade another country from far, far away from, from the U.S., but I digress. So in, in December, the points finally dropped for 31 Charlie off of the ceiling of 998 down to 760-something. I was in the 780-something. Okay, yay, I get promoted. I'm going to be a sergeant. And then come to find out right after I see, I read this in the Army Times. Um, so I'm contacting my battalion headquarters, which is far, far away from where, where our staging area is. Um, and they're like, no, you didn't make the cutoff. I, mean, I didn't make the cutoff. I got last count, I got 788. I maxed out on this. I got this. I got college degree. I got that. I'm maxed out on this. I'm maxed out on this. No, no, we did a recount. Who's we? Uh, the folks in the rear at Fort Bliss did a recount and they reduced the amount of points awarded for your college degree. They said that you didn't have enough and they, they chopped it in half. I was like, I, they have my transcript. They have a copy of my degree. Who, give me a name and an address. We ain't giving you nothing. Okay, fine. So I also came down on orders for officer candidate school. I was due to report in January. Um, so my entire chain of command knows about this. So I pack up all of my stuff. Um, and right, it was going to happen a week before uh, January 15th. Pack up all my stuff, turn in all my desert gear, take a, take a convoy down to the airstrip get all the way to the freedom bird and my i get cut off by another humvee major jumps out are you specialist law yes i am um come with me where are we going that, that's my plane no it ain't that is not your plane stop loss and effect what do you mean stop loss what is this thing you stop i got orders in hand i'm supposed to report no 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 no, no. we're in combat stop loss and effect you don't get to go to no officer candidate school Fuck. get back to the unit and I am salty. First sergeant knows it. Commander knows it. It's like just leave law alone. Uh, don't don't mess with them. Don't put them on any details. Don't 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 poke the bear. Just let them you know work through it. After about three days, first sergeant called me into his tent. You, you ready to talk now? I'm a little miffed. Okay, noted. I'd be miffed too. You thought this was going to happen? And oh, by the way, we found out a new term. Stop loss. No one told us about it. So are, are, can we count on you when we jump across the border next week? Sure. Okay. Did the Desert Storm thing, got back. Uh, okay, ceasefire, got back to home station. And okay, I took 30 days off for leave. Um, get myself together and decompress in my family. I have to admit, uh, they did everything they could to make me as comfortable as possible during this period. Uh, because I got combat vets in my family i got my uncle uh my dad's got some folks in his uh um mason lodge who are combat vets so all of them have been in my parents ear you know when he comes back he ain't gonna be the same person that left here the last time you saw him so you know kind of treat him with kid gloves whatever he wants whatever he needs if it's within reason you know just let him be 
you know, he will decompress at his own rate. So the, the welcome home party, yes, it was overwhelming. It was, you know, I ain't never seen that many cousins and aunts and uncles and, and, and Lord knows what else and in-laws and outlaws all in the same same house. Um, food was great, but, you know, at different times during that whole event, I would just disengage and go off by myself. And uh, come and find me or my dad's lodge brother would come and find me and just like you know get in my ear how you feel what you thinking if you want to talk just talk you know whatever it is you want to talk about if you don't want to talk just you know i'll just be here and i'll just listen um and if you want want to let me tell you this if you don't talk about it it's going to eat you up the longer you hold it in it's going to be like a cancer and it's either going to eat you up from the inside or it's just going to explode when you least expect it and so one of them started a story about the firefight they had in Vietnam um, and how terrible it was and how many people he lost. And that got me to talking about some of the stuff I went through in, in Desert Storm, uh, about how I saw a guy, a uh, um, uh, West Virginia National Guardsman, picked up a fuel, a, an unexploded munition that was ours. It was a fuel air explosive little device about that big. Um, we, as active duty soldiers, know if it's on the ground, no matter whose mark is on it, leave it there. Mark the area off and keep it moving. This soldier decided, oh, look at the thing. And the NCO behind him told him to put it down, barked at him, put it down. And he slammed it to the ground. And when mm. he did, it went off. I am like 20 meters behind him when all this went down. All I heard was put it down and then poof. You know, so everybody's scrambling because of the explosion they're not sure if it was friendly fire or what the hell's going on um and then you know i hear the call for medic well i've been trained as a combat lifesaver in in the desert shield phase so i got the, the supreme you know butt pack that allows me to you know treat this person and i'm the only one that's close by that can do something i go to him and he is split in half this half here legs over there he is still conscious. I'm not sure what to do for this person. The puddle that's underneath him is getting bigger and bigger. Um, I'm like, okay, uh, don't number one, don't throw up. Two, be present for the patient. Three, treat what you got. <sighs> I only got half a body. Uh, hey, what you gonna do with that? Okay. Yeah. So you know, I'm like, okay, I guess put a tourniquet around the waist and stop, stop the, the the bleeding as best I can. Okay. Um, stabbing IV in them, you know, and keep smacking them awake and asking them questions, you know, what are you, where are you from? This, that, and the other. And he was awake, you know, as, as much as I can determine. Uh, while I'm doing all this, they've already called in a medevac. Medevac shows up, two litters, one for the legs, one for the upper body, and away he goes. Um, don't know what happened to him after that. So, you know, of course, my appetite is shot for the night. I, I don't care to eat anymore. And first sergeant told my squad leader, hey, keep an eye on law. Uh, something like that is going to change him. We want to know, you know, if his mind is going to be right when bullets start flying. Just, you know, keep an eye on him. If, if something untoward starts to happen, let me know. So I was kind of quiet, kept to myself, didn't do anything. My squad leader was like, hey, we haven't played spades in a while okay whatever and I play spades and you know and next thing you know in the middle of the game threw my cards down I walked out the tent and up chucked 
everything. Um, squad leader, you know, is over there. Just let it all out. Just let it all out. This, this is exactly what we need you to do right now because you've been holding it in. You haven't been talking to us. You haven't been engaging with us. You haven't been yourself. Uh, so just get it all out. Um, and after I upjumped everything, then I start crying. It's like, okay, what do you want to talk? I'm going to talk about shit. You know, I just, I don't feel well. I, I, don't, I don't like this. He said, you ain't supposed to like it. This is an unnatural act that you had to witness last week. Um, normal soldiers, normal people don't have to experience that. You, you did. The good news is you were there. The good news is you knew what to do. Um, and we didn't know what to do. You put on a hell of a good show. I was there five meters away from you trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to package, you know, the bottom half of them um, so it doesn't upset the rest of the soldiers because, you know, our soldiers mixed in with West Virginia National Guard soldiers mixed in with some other field artillery unit soldiers getting hot chow, one of our few hot meals we had in the desert. So he's like, I'm trying to, and he was a, a veteran from, um, the, the conflict in Panama, uh, not Urgent Fury. Um, uh, so yeah, pushed overcast or it was the no, 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 just cause, just cause, just, oh, just cause. cause. Oh, yeah, okay, so this is not eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, it's so, it's so funny. He, I just did a podcast just uh, with this week with uh, one of the uh, civilians that was a was a, um, a hostage in that that operation. So Ooh. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so so you can listen to her episode on on Monday, and yeah, she was in that that event. Yeah, so he was he was a squad leader uh, for the 507th, I want to say. He was stationed out of Camp Kabi, which is on the west side, I believe, because Camp Clayton is on the... No, no, I got it reversed. It, it's C and then K. Clayton is on the west side, Kabi is on the east side. So he was at on the east side in Kabi. Uh, so he was, you know, his his forces were the first ones to deploy, and then they took the ones from the other side of, of Panama to, to back them up, and then we just launched the entire 18th Airborne Corps and, and stamped out the whole whole issue. But he was that he had that experience to know that, you know, he saw what I was going through, he knew how to respond, and he was there for me. Desert Storm was over with, got back, um, finally got the whole recount situation squared away about you know me being a sergeant me not being a sergeant so i got back paid for that uh got amended orders for all ocs uh reported ocs in 91 october 91 um and our ocs class was top heavy in every category we were top heavy in amount of tabbed out folks we have four special forces ranger airborne we have four of them typical class at best has one most warrant officers, we had seven <laughs> because oh, wow. the army the year prior, we're shrinking now. War's over with, we're shrinking. Uh, so we already had a base frat, base realignment, whatever the C stands for, um, thing going on after the wall came down. But then the war happened and everything got put up 100 hours flat on the ground. Okay, we're picking up where we left off. So we're still trying to shrink the army. At the same time, your folks, um, the warrant officers in aviation were given a choice. If you want to be promoted, the, the fast track to promotion is go from warrant officer to commission officer. So I had quite a few aviators um, who were um, in my class, um, aviation warrant officers. Most college options, we had two. Most drill sergeants, we had nine. Most 
uh, recruiters, we had six. You know, I mean, every category, every demographic you can think of, we were top heavy in. And most combat vets, because we were the first class directly after the war. So we came in there smelling our piss. First thing we did was looked at our instructors and we're checking out their right shoulders. Like, there ain't nothing on that shoulder. Ain't nothing that clown can tell me about nothing. And they smelled that on us. And it's like, yeah, we gotta break these clowns down fast. Cause if not, they, you know, they gonna rule this, this circus and not us. Uh, so day three, that's when the smoking began. Um, and we stayed on everybody's bad list and so forth and so on. But in the end, you know, we made a, de- made a determination as a class. We, the person that graduates last from OCS, what do you call them? Sir or ma'am? It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the list, middle of the list. If they pin those gold bars on you, it's sir or ma'am. It matters not. We were the first class that didn't do uh, the, the, the class prank. We were the first class not to have a, a stealth pizza party. It's like, we just want to get through this and be done with it. Uh, went from there to Fort Knox, learned the craft of being a tank uh, platoon leader or tank officer. Great time there. And I had, I was surrounded by um, classmates of mine uh, from my OCS class who were former tankers. So they showed me all the tricks and trades. Uh, one of them was a master gunner. So he's shown me additional tricks and trades. So that just kind of set the table for success once I got to my unit. And guess where I ended up? Germany again. Yeah. Hip, 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 hooray. It was the best place in the, in, in the army. I've been here four times. Yeah. <laughs> like two thirds of my class got orders for Fort. Uh, not not Leavenworth. Um, the other one in in Kansas, um, Fort Riley. For, for, okay. Uh, every, Fort Riley. Everybody got back then. First ID was in Fort Riley. Uh, so two thirds of my class that was active duty got orders for that. Another tiny percentage got orders for um, second ID in Korea. Um, and then it was kind of twos and fuse. You're going to Polk, you're going here, you're going to drum. I was like, we got tanks and drum? Okay, moving on. Um, and you know, the European folks um, like myself. So I'm going to first armor division, got stationed with uh, 267 armor out of Freeburg, Germany, home of Elvis, yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did, did a bunch of gunneries, a bunch of Calfaxes, a bunch of joint exercises with, with NATO troops. Had a great time, blew up everything that they put in front of me. Now, before before I go any further on this, my my career as an officer. Before I left OCS, we had to sit down. You know, we had one of those leadership training classes with a, with a sergeant first class, and you know, he stopped everything, he made us sit down on the log. He's like, okay, let's just talk real talk. NCO the officers, I'm training you to be the best that you can be and be a better leader. I'm going to ask you one question. Is it better to inherit a good unit or a shitty unit? And a bunch of us, you know, like, yeah, we want the good unit. And a few of us like, ah, I want the shitty unit. Okay. The folks that said, I want the shitty unit. Why? If at the bare bones minimum between the time I take over this unit, the time I turn it over, it's going to be better than what it was. Good unit. I, depends on what level of good we're talking about i'm probably nowhere near their level of expertise so i am now the new weak link i gotta work my ass off to get up to their level and then maintain that and then figure out how do we get to the next level so you know shitty unit i i could in my sleep i could make this a better unit if i just pay attention to my ncos my off my 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 enlisted 
uh, find out what's ailing them, fix the, all the low-hanging fruit, and then pro- progress from there. So that is an excellent answer. That is an excellent answer. So I said that to say this. My first tank platoon was the best tank platoon in all of Europe. Had a five-foot trophy stating that they were the best tank platoon in Europe. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I am the Big weak shoes link in this <laughs> I am the worst tanker in this damn platoon. Okay, got it. So the good news is I'm surrounded by talent. So all I had to do is learn what they did. My predecessor, he's still in the battalion, albeit he's a mortar platoon leader. He's still in the unit. So I can still rely on him for some officer tutelage while I'm getting to, getting reverse mentored by my NCOs enlisted. Great. Okay, years go by. I get branch branch reassigned to Camo. Okay. Law, you've blown up everything we've told you to blow up. We need you to go back in Camo and take this combat arms experience and make Camo as good as you made armor. Does it pay the same? Yes. Uh, will you train me in Camo? Because it's been a minute since I touched the radio set. Yes. Okay. So I go through the branch requalification course at Gordon. And oh, by the way, the folks that I served with in my first tour in Germany are now instructors at, at Gordon. Word has gotten around Fort Gordon. There's a guy named Law. I think it's the same guy that we had way back in the day in Germany. You need to check him out. And they're seeking me out. They are like coming to my classroom or waiting outside my classroom or have figured out that I'm staying in the bachelor officer quarter towers um, behind where, where we take classes. And they're just stormtrooping. Hey, Law, what's going on? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind the familiarity, but I, I'm still in uniform. I, I need you to do that that thing you do while we're in public. When we're in private, do that other thing. But right now, it, it's you know anybody can see it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so glad to see you, man. You're looking great. You're doing this, that, 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 that. Okay, okay, great. So it was a great homecoming for me because I got to see this exact same homecoming when I was in armor officer basic course. One of my uh, classmates was a former drill instructor at Fort Knox. One of my classmates was a former master gunner at the place. So I got to see those two, you know, get the, the homecoming. You know, they were enlisted, now they're officer, and how these NCOs just kind of mobbed them and was happy for them and this, that, and the other. So now I'm experiencing this at Fort Gordon. So I'm like, okay, great. Where are you going? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I'm signing the first armor division. They control my destiny. If they got slots for me, I'll be within that that area. If not, I can, I could go anywhere. Well, it turns out I get back to first armor division. Uh, I spent the first four and a half months as the extra officer. So basically, whatever the brigade commander wanted me to do, that's what I'm doing. So I'm a liaison officer, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Finally, I get orders to go to 141st Signal Battalion, uh, 1st Armored Division, and the battalion commander interviews me, so I want you to be a platoon leader. I'm like, I already did platoon leader time. I ain't got no other slots. It's either that or you go somewhere else. I'd rather go somewhere else, sir. I wasn't giving you a choice, Lieutenant. Uh, It's going to be platoon leader. Okay, so be it. So... Which platoon am I getting? You're getting Charlie, you know, first platoon. Guess who won the signal states the year prior? Charlie, first platoon. God bless it. So, yeah, you were one of those good units that you had to. Yeah, you know, yeah. so they, I'm, I'm the weakest signal <laughs> really leader they got in the unit. So I'm like, bless my damn. Okay, all right. 
So I go there, there's no one in the unit that knows me, but we have chewed the same dirt with other leaders that we've served with. So um, now it's just a matter of connecting the dots between what I learned in school and what I have at my disposal. So the good news is everyone sees the combat pass, so that's, that's warranted respect. They find out that I went through OCS and I was former enlisted combo, that's warranted even more respect. So it's like, well, okay, so you pretty much know combo, we just need to, you know, fill in the gaps. That's not a problem. So every opportunity, at least once a week, I would meet with my NCOs and my soldiers, you know, talk to me about how this works. What buttons do you push? What this, that, 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 this. And in a short amount of time, it all clicked. I was like, okay, we just digitized what I was playing with back in the day that was analog. But the good news with analog, there's room, there's wiggle room. If you can't get sender and receiver talking, you can fine tune it so it will talk. We're in the digital age. You either talking or you ain't talking. I was like, oh, beast or famine. Okay, got it. Okay, okay, good. So we just worked on with non-commissioned officer professional development, enlisted professional development. And I'm looking for opportunities to promote these folks and not stand in their way uh, of their success. Um, my battalion commander sees this and he's like, that's my next company commander. I don't know what slot or when I'm gonna make that available, but that's my next company commander. Well, it's think we're still shrinking as a, as a military. Just what happened later on in my career was one for one. The unit that I'm in, it has the best signal battalion, has been tapped on the shoulder to go away. I got to draw this unit down and send all their equipment, all their personnel to the four winds. Oh, by the way, two thirds into that adventure is I got a $500,000, a $500,000 budget in a six month timeline to make all this happen. Get all this equipment up to dash 20 standards and get orders for all this stuff. Uh, vehicles, vehicles are going to Fort Riley, Kansas. Shelters are going to Seacom in Tobiana, Pennsylvania. Weapons, well, uh, what we call them, sensitive items, weapons, uh, night vision goggles, those are going to Burma, uh, uh, place in Bremerhaven. Um, I thought it was going to go to Permasons, which is right down the road from it. Like, nope, going up north to the, the Bremerhaven and learning how to ship all this stuff and being a logistician. Uh, so this is all brand new stuff to us. Hey, Victor, you didn't tell me where, where'd you guys send the cuckoo clock? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, you got to be quick. <laughs> I didn't get a cuckoo clock. I got a wife. You got a wife. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got, I had a wife back then. So, yeah. um, so anyway, learning how to do all this stuff on, on the fly and, and just paying attention to what the property book officer is telling me. And it gets to a point where I'm pretty much quarterbacking the entire place. My company commander is just like, Law's got this. By this time, I've already transferred from being a platoon leader to the ex executive officer. Um, I'm briefing the company commander. Company commander's like, you know what? Rather than you tell me and I tell the battalion staff, how about we get all of us in the same room, same time we do weekly briefs. Then it got to the point where we ain't even got to do weekly briefs. You're on top of this. It got to the point where the battalion commander was briefing division staff. You know, we got a drawdown in effect. And then he stopped doing that. And then he had to remind the division commander, oh, by the way, you know, thank you this date, I'm going to be short of company because we're drawing this down. Oh, that's still going on? Yeah. Well, where are we at? We're almost done. Oh, okay, great. I, I haven't heard anything. So I guess y'all y'all got it on lock. So two-thirds in, into the way of that, the thing in Bosnia cooks off. 
again, our division has a well, our core has a decision to make. It's us and Third ID. Who's going first, and where are they deploying to? This, this, that, that, this. Okay, Third ID was sent first to Somalia. So the division was the decision was at the core level. Since they went first on this engagement, we're going to send First Armored Division first on this engagement. Yay! Uh, so now we got to develop. You know who's going to be on the advance party, so forth and so on. We deployed to Bosnia in January of '90s, but we sent the advance party in October of '95. Rest of the battalion followed in January of '96. Spent a year there, and then just trying to transition from five years ago. I, I was a combat soldier, combat veteran. Anything that don't look like us, light them up. <clears throat> to don't shoot unless you've been shot at. So if they shoot at me with one bullet, I can unload the clip. No, 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 no. We're not doing that combat stuff no more. Like force, say it with me. Like force. So one bullet comes this way, I get to unload one bullet that way, yeah. So they unload small arms to me, I can unload a 50 cal that way, no, no. Mm, rules of small engagement. Small arms, small arms, okay, all right. So making that transition, realizing that there's unexploded munitions throughout the countryside, uh, no one wrote down where the mines were, we did our best job trying uh, we deployed it. It is already snowed, and then when the snow melted, we found other stuff that was just hanging out of the snow. Uh, at our base camp, at Camp Comanche, we saw the ass end of a missile sticking out of the ground after the snow melted. Like I thought that was a a, a tree stump. <laughs> saw mm. those green fins poking out. Like uh oh, that's not good. You know, called the EOD over. It's like yeah, it, it's a dud. I'm like, well, we gonna be across the street. You do that thing you yeah. do. And just you just don't pick it up and slam click. it down, right? You know, as long as nobody goes. That part. That part. That part. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Uh, so, so they disposed of that. It was a pretty uneventful tour, but still, you know, just trying to figure. It was a whole lot of mission creep. You know, well, you're already on the ground, so we want you to be on the lookout for uh, the two war criminals, Milosevic and I forgot Slobodan, Milosevic and the other generals that you know did all the ethnic cleansing. They give us this grainy facts. You know, I like that guy. Looks like our first interpreter we had back in in March. That's not him. That's this guy. And you want us to do what with this? And every check issue this to all the checkpoints, and you know, have them look. I was like, every Bosnian I've ever run across looks like this. You gonna give me something more? That, that that's all the best we got. I was like, okay, all right, we're doing this. And then the convoy restrictions, and uh, once we got past the deployment phase, now we're in the maintenance phase. Uh, Two thirds into that, tank commander's like, I want to do an IG inspection. I was like, you want to do a what? <laughs> We got like over 30 something different remote sites. You want us to go to each one of these sites and do an IG inspection? Well, just do it on the company headquarters and this, that, and I was like, understand, sir, this is going to be a degraded mode IG. A lot of our stuff is still in the rear. We deployed as if it were combat. I know we call it peacekeeping, but we deployed as if it were combat. So certain things on this checklist, we just want to NA if it's all the same to you. Okay, we went around the table. At this point, I'm a battalion maintenance officer. You know, what things can we NA because the items that, that we're looking for are not here? Uh, and how many of those items can we get shipped from the rear detachment over to here and then update and go forward? 
because this is the only way we're going to get better. And oh, by the way, we got need to look at our tactical SOP and create a peacekeeping appendix. Ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh. Hey, hey, hey Victor, can I, I pull you back to um, uh, sure. a point in, in your a point in your story? Um, because you, we unpacked a, a lot from your journey from mm-hmm. transitioning from seeking opportunities in journalism to getting over addiction to getting in the army and you know traversing NCO into officer and, and it brought a lot of, of questions uh in my mind along the way so I, I want to start off from the first time that you went to rehab and you said that you came out and you were you were clean uh for for almost uh 30 days so what, what was the message or the thought that you received during that window of time that made you decide to leave and, and abstain for that period? Um, one, I didn't want to take my family through the stress of what I put them through being an addict. I wanted to be the one to break the cycle. I am the son, uh, son, grandson, great-grandson, all the males in, in my family are alcoholics. So I wanted to break that cycle and be the first one, you know, through, through, the, through, the, through the window to be clean and serene um i the the realization that i walked away with was the reason i was an addict and alcoholic was because i wasn't comfortable in my own skin i didn't know who i was so i'm i was punching down so to speak i'm hanging out with all the rogues in the in the hoodlums you know trying to be cool because during them years you know being college educated using proper english it just wasn't cool in the hood so if I want to blend in and fit in, you know, I got to bring myself down to their level. And that, I should have never done that. I should have stayed true to myself. So that's one thing I learned uh, throughout that whole process. Plus yeah. the, the, the various effects that drugs and alcohol have on the body and how it shortens your lifespan. And I was like, I got a whole lot of life in front of me. I don't want to see that come to an end because I'm voluntarily doing something stupid, such as being addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you know I got a, a pretty powerful message in, in which you had mentioned about how you rationalize getting back into it. And I think that it, this is a problem that impacts most people uh, from achieving success because you said that you were measuring yourself against the worst people. And like, well, I'm not like this person. Let me go from being an addict to being a routine user. And I think that's what keeps people from being successful because they measure themselves against the lowest common denominator and say, well, I'm not that bad, so I'm okay. Versus aspiring, yeah. you know, to, to the greater, you know, find that you, and, and you even t- touched on this uh, when you talked about selecting units and some people were going to bad units because it's easy to, to look good if you start at bad. And some people avoided the good units because of the fear that they wouldn't amount. But the success mindset says that you have to surround yourself with greatness so that way you can get good. So you got to be in the good unit and accept the fact that you may fail and you may not be the best there, but you're in the environment that will tune you to be better. So I think that was a, a powerful, uh, you know, kind of looking at from the beginning of your life to your uh, officer situation. So with that, um, Michael, you said, Michael, I'm a steal a line from Top Gun Maverick. They're called orders. Yeah, you're right. But, but that's that's the benefit of the army, right? Because they they give you orders and they stick you in uncomfortable situations that you have to adapt to. So in the yes. civilian life, we can avoid you know the difficult stuff and make a choice. But in the army, you got no choice. You got to grow. You nope. got to grow. Yeah. So and 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 exactly what you said is the reason why I started the military mentor effort because I realized 
that young people needed access to alternative leadership options because you described how you're in, in your environment there was a measurement of cool the measurement of acceptable and and if you if you spoke properly if you acted a certain way you wouldn't be accepted but if somebody were to come into your community and force and say we're successful we're wealthy you know we've got good lives here's how we did it and expose you to alternative leadership options alternative ideas of cool then it's possible that you could have said that guy just pulled up in the Lamborghini. You know, let me figure out what he did to get there. That guy just walked up here in a business suit. What did, what did he do to get there? And, and I think that's important to give back into the community. So what, so when you're going through these these adversities, um, you know, in the combat environment, dealing with the promotions and stuff like that, how did you cope with those, those challenges differently from how you coped with the challenges of having issues, finding jobs, you know, and then turning to substance abuse? What was, what was the mindset shift? Okay, can you rephrase that question? Yeah, sure. So when you, when you when you graduated from school, you described how you know you had this degree, you were getting these odd jobs, and you were struggling, and to cope with it, you turned to substance. So you had similar challenges that you described, with you know the hopes of getting promotion, and then that being pulled away from you, and then being in a stressful combat environment. Sometimes people, I know, especially during the Vietnam era, a lot of folks turn to to drugs to cope with the experiences that they had. So you had to have a shift in perspective that allowed you to deal with challenges differently. So what would you, what would you think was uh, the, that key thing that allowed you to shift the way that you handled challenges that you experienced? Um, I think being surrounded by good leadership, being surrounded by soldiers who had my back, soldiers that I could trust, soldiers who knew me as me, not just private law, specialist law, sergeant law, lieutenant law, captain law, people who knew me and knew what I was capable of and knew how I could perform. Um, so just being surrounded by that community because we're all our brothers and sisters, keepers in the military, uh, no man's left behind, that sort of thing. So just being in that type of environment uh, kind of created that, that cocoon. Um, that allowed me to grow and allowed me to flourish and not even consider um, drugs or alcohol. Now, when I joined the military, the military has shifted its attitude towards alcoholism and DUIs. Um, the first year, first yeah, first year I joined, you got a DUI, it was considered, ah, my, Michael, he got a DUI yesterday. That guy's got character, promote to the next rank. <laughs> 88 came around. Army took that and shredded that out of the playbook. It's like you get a DUI as a career ender. It is simple as that. We ain't got no time for alcoholics and we don't have time for drug addicts. And the unit I landed in in Germany, uh, we did health and wealth, health and welfare, health inspections, health, health and welfare inspection, right? Right. We hmm. did those at least twice a month because we knew drugs were an issue. My unit was less than 10 clicks away from the Dutch border. What do you think's over that border? Hash, marijuana, this, that, 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 this. So uh, we hadn't established a drug testing policy at that point. So it was like, okay, let's get it at the root. Let's go through the barracks. So they went through the barracks and then they started going out to random NCO homes that they knew uh, had something to do with it. And just, you know, health and welfare inspection, there's the dogs and if he spots, you know, you, we got a conversation. Um, so that helped clean this up a little bit. And just sitting there as a sober person watching all this go down, like, woo, 
Mm-hmm. Glad I cleaned up my act because that could have been me. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I did the right thing at the right time. Um, and as we got those bad eggs out of the unit, the unit was able to flourish as a result. Um, so I forgot what the question yeah. was. Did yeah. I answer no, the question? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. You absolutely answered the question. And I think it boils down to being surrounded, you know, with, with powerful leaders, you know, ha- having, uh, and, and, and I kind of think about how you shifted your mindset when somebody saw potential in you and, and they say, you know what, this guy, he can run circles around these NCOs and, and they started to reframe um, how you saw yourself and how you, how you perceive the world viewing you as an individual and, and somebody saw potential and, and they pulled it out of you and made you believe something differently. And I think about, you know how that's uh how that reflects on society today if somebody sees an individual with a drug addiction or even a child that's struggling in school we tend to label people and, and people will usually live up to the labels that we give them so if we say that somebody is a bomb and they'll never be successful and and we just continuously throw all these negative labels to people they'll tend to live in that box that society labels them as and sometimes that box is built at home by the parents you know and i think in your circumstance you know, you found an environment where somebody realized yeah, that I had... was labeling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you broke those labels in the military environment, right? Because somebody, you know, yep. you started to believe something different. So, yeah. and all, all those small unit leadership tactics that I've learned through PLDC, Officer Candidate School, Armor Officer Basic Course, Signal Officer branch qualification and every other course that came through and every experience I went through it just built upon itself and when I became a civilian it's like okay go for it do great wonderful things with corporate America you're a production supervisor on third shift uh, okay okay let's take a look at what we got introduce yourself to everybody you know and then just taking what I did in the past and putting it to use in civilian the civilian sector you know, get to know the people. What do you want to be when you grow up? Is this it for you? Uh, do you want to go in a different department? Different, you know, you want to move up within the department and help them get there and, you know, know when to pull the trigger that if it ain't going to happen, if the talent base isn't there, just have those hard conversations. This isn't for you. Maybe you need to pursue something else. Um, holding people accountable. All those those Army Corps values, I'm a walk and talk an example of it. How did I get there? That first mentor, he showed me how it was done and I was like, hmm, okay. It's it's that simple. I thought it, I made it out to be harder than what it was. He's like, no, all you gotta do is this. All you gotta do is firm your backbone up and, and have those conversations. They will thank you because if you tap dance around the issue and not address the issue head on, it's going to blow up in your face and understand in our, in our line of work, Victor, um, you know, we're beans and bullets, folks. You know, you feed us so we have enough strength to unload freedom seeds in that direction because the enemy is throwing, you know, anti-freedom seeds this way. Freedom so, seeds, I like that. <laughs> so <laughs> you put the seed in the body, yeah. it goes out the back end, the body hits the ground. What fertile? Yeah. What, what, what makes the grass grow? Yeah, blood, blood bright red blood. Seeds. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's what we're about, and we don't really have time to, you know, dance around it. The more you dance around it, you know, that's going to cost someone's life. You know, we're and liberty and freedom to do whatever. 
And yes, we're going to get tapped on the shoulder to do all kinds of missions. Missions we have experience in and mission we ain't, missions we don't know what the heck we're doing. So when we realize we're in a position we don't know what the heck we're doing, stop. Ask for directions. Ask for guidance. Someone on this planet has done what you're, what you're about to do. Find that person. Bleed them for everything they got. There's no such thing as is is a patented idea, uh, a patent on a good idea. If they're doing it, you're doing it. It's all copy. So I'm like, oh, I thought you had to. No, no, no. Stop it. Stop it with all of this UDC stuff that you manufactured in your own little mind. I'm trying to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm like, okay, shutting up. I'm listening. I'm getting down on one knee. I'm listening to you. And he just showed me, he's like, just watch me do what I do. If you got any questions, ask me afterwards. Don't ask me in the middle of what I'm doing. And I will frame, you know, step by step. This is why I did what I did. And this is the outcome I was looking for. And this is the outcome I received. Will I be successful 100% of the time? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you think I'm Superman. I'm not. I get dressed the same way you do. I put one pants leg on at a time. No one's holding them out open at the bottom of the foot of stairs and I do a super hand leap. No, I put them on the same way you do. So I am prone to mistakes too. Will I get it right 100%? No. Will you? No. So get used to that. That failure is in your future. It's what you do after you fail that determines how good a leader you are. Absolutely. You know, and you said, you know, a powerful thing that I think um, is should resonate with leaders out there. You said that an individual recognized you as Victor Law, not as a rank on your chest. And I think that's the problem that we have is we don't look at people, we don't acknowledge people and see the person behind it. We see that resource uh, at that job, you know, that, that employee becomes a resource, not a person. The soldier becomes a resource, not a person. And I think, you know, we all have an opportunity to impact people's lives positively or negatively, but sometimes you gotta take that, that moment to actually acknowledge that individual and, and learn their story and figure out how you can add value to that individual because everything is a people business no matter what business it is it always boils, boils down to people and yeah that's part of my job my job is to make sure that every employee in the city of rocky mount goes home the same way they arrive 10 of these i'm pointing down at my feet 10 of the 10 toes <laughs> we'll worry about this later so, yeah. if, you know, if, if I don't have to make that phone call to your next again saying you're not making it home because you got injured on the job, maimed on the job, killed on the job, I've done my job. Um, but I explained to all employees during orientation, it's only one of me, it's 1,200 of y'all. I can't be everywhere all the time to make sure you stay safe. So I'm relying on you to be my eyes and ears. If you see something that don't look right, say something and do something um, and follow it up with action. You know, if you see a light socket hanging out the wall and you go, well, that's unusual, and you keep it moving, it's not going to get fixed. All you're going to do is roll the dice and hope like hell that no one gets injured as a result of that visible hazard that's in your workplace. So hmm. you saw it, next step, say something. Hey, boss, someone needs to fix that. You're absolutely right. I'll make the phone call. And then once it gets done, you completed all three phases. See something, say something, do something. Absolutely. Victor, I, I appreciate your, you know, you coming on here and sharing that very impactful story. And, and it's always interesting because you never know what people's backgrounds are. And, and I think that, you know, there's never anything uh, such as failure. It's just lessons that we learn in life that, you know, we can definitely recycle to impact other people. So I, I want to give you the last piece here to, you know, kind of wrap up with a big idea uh, for the audience. You're waiting on me to give you a big idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> a big yeah, a big idea based on your your story, man. Like if you had to leave the audience with with a lesson, you know, what do you think would be the 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 extract from your experience, your life lesson? What's going what's going on your on your tombstone? <laughs> <laughs> No, no one's ever asked me that. Um, I, I'm trying to think of something, you know, grandiose and impactful. Um, you know, what's been the through line? What's been the theme of, of, of mine? You know, don't quit. Um, just don't quit. You know, at a certain point, there's something that you you want to pursue. Uh, you may not know how to pursue it. Okay, if you do it by yourself, you're probably going to fail. What are you going to do next? Are you going to fail and say, oh, that's it. I'm not doing that no more. Or are you going to get resources to help you succeed? And that's what's helped me in my career, finding those resources to help me succeed in the military, less with great leadership uh, most of the time. Um, in, in manufacturing, um, less with great leadership um, that, you know, saw that same diamond in the rough. And was like, yeah, we could do something with this guy. This guy can take us to the next level. Uh, he's got that special oomph that we've been looking for um, because I've been known throughout every organization in in private sector as being the first, the best, and the last. Uh, yet they still let me go. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the first African-American to do this. I was the best at what I did, and I was the last one to do what I did. Um, because the person that filled in behind me, you know, everyone, you know, the first 30 to 90 days, well, Victor was never done like that. Or we do, you know, Victor's name came up in vain quite often uh, early on it, 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 for my successor. Um, and, and my successors, had they reached out to me, it's like, hey, you know, you did this, this, and this. How do you do it? And I'm like, gladly. I, I don't have a problem telling you. It, it's not a secret. It's not a patent on it. I want to see you succeed as much as, you know, someone saw me succeed. So I, I'm not that person like, well, I ain't with that organization. I'm a bleeding deacon. Figure it out. I had to figure it out. I'm not that person. I'm just not. Um, so that's the way I am. That's just how I'm built. Um, I, I, you can blame my daddy, you can blame my mommy, you can blame my granddaddy, you can blame my grandma. All four of them, they were the exact same people. If I got it, you got it. So, um, and they grew up, grew up during the depression where they didn't have anything. And later on in life, when I came around and I get to see how generous these people are with all their resources, money, food, you know, whatever they can, they can bring to the table to help this other person out. I was like, I need to be like that. I had never seen that. I read about it, but I'd never seen that. So when I saw my parents and my grandparents doing these types of activities, I was like, yeah, that's 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 my new apex that I want to aspire Absolutely. to. So I know I said a whole lot uh, to say nothing, but I, I think you got uh, the yeah, gist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you, man. You know, so so never quit. And and there's there's resources to every problem. So I think when people go through issues, uh, they feel like you know this is it, this is my life, this is my situation. But uh, there's always hope and there's always resources. You just have to you know let people help. You know, like you said, if you if you go through it on your own, you're gonna struggle. And I think one thing that you said that was very impactful was that you created the labels for yourself. So the voices that were 
holding you back were in your own head. So I think that's definitely, again, you know, that's reaching true. out for those resources. That is so yeah. true. Yeah. That yeah. is so true. Yeah. I talked to numerous employees who, well, I could get the same thing you just mentioned. Well, it's only as good as I get. The only one telling that story is you. Mm-hmm. You know who ain't telling that story? Me. You know who mm-hmm. else ain't telling that story? Your boss. You're the one telling this story. So once you break this story and determine what it is you want to do, what are you passionate about? What do you like to do? What are you good at? Pursue that, whether that's with the city or with someone else. I don't care because at the end of the day, I want you to enjoy what you do because if all you do is come to work like, you know, Bob Cratchit, uh, you know, chain yourself to the desk, it will never change unless you make a change. If if nothing changes, nothing changes. It's as simple as that. And then they, you know, it's like someone took a blanket off their head. Oh my God, all this is available? Yes, it is. Take your pick, what you want to do. I want to do that, do it, do it. Hey, 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 Vic, I I want to thank you for your time and I want to thank you for your service um, and and congratulate you on your sobriety and and using your story to help lead others uh, to a better, you know, situation in their life. So I I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing that, you know, impactful story, man. 35 years clean and serene yay that, that is amazing man that's amazing so uh you know thank you and and i uh, hope that the audience has learned something um you know victor is or victor is uh, on on linkedin if you guys are looking for somebody to to do public speaking or or just continue on this discussion you know he's available on linkedin and uh all the information we posted in in the uh inside the, the podcast details so victor i appreciate your time brother all right thank you michael all right man All right. Have a good one. You too. Ciao.